Unlock Banking in Asia, a podcast produced by the London Institute of Banking and Finance. This is a platform where we interview some of the leading industry and business experts from around the APAC region to explore current news and trends in the world of banking and finance. I am your host, Sarah Mabelis, Country Manager at LIBF Singapore. In this episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Broderick Santos. Better known as Bodge, he's the Division Head, Retail Banking Group for the East-West Banking Corporation. Bodge has not only clocked up over 20 years of experience working with both international and local banks in the region, but he has also become a dedicated advocate for financial literacy and community development. Broderick, welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. Well, the pleasure is all mine, Sarah. Nice to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much. So, Broderick, your career has had some really interesting twists and turns, so I'm very excited to learn more about your experiences in the banking industry and some of the incredible social responsibility projects that you've spearheaded. So let's kick things off. Perhaps you could introduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit more about how you got started in the banking world. Right, Nikki. Actually, to to be honest with you, I never thought myself working in the bank. Okay. When I graduated, I actually, I got married a bit young. So that's a trivia. I got married 20 years old. So I was more of a working student during that time. And working in the bank was a bit of an accident because my dad used to be a financial uh, head of a multinational company. And during that time, he had a branch manager's handling his account. So it just so happened the branch manager saw me when I visited the office, and then all of a sudden he invited me to join the bank. And that was that was the start of my career. Actually, I started from the ranks, from being a new account, and eventually I evolved towards being a senior officer of uh, one of the biggest banks in the Philippines. So it was was it was more of a challenging path during my time because uh, when I started, uh, it wasn't really a bed of roses for me. Uh, I started from the lowest position. It just so happened that uh, before way, way back, I realized that banking, I thought it was a nine-to-five job, sort of a boring job, but I, I realized there was a lot of uh, uh, dynamics working back, like being in sales, giving the opportunity to be able to inspire people. I remember so vividly during our orientation, I uh, they they gave us the to draw how you envision yourself after 10 to 15 years. So I envision myself to be here exactly what I'm doing right now. So it's a dream come true for me. So during that time, uh, coming from the lowest position, I was trying to see how I could improve my craft. So during my time being a new account, I spent time finishing all of my tasks and then I asked uh, my store manager or my branch manager during that time if I could tag along because I really want to learn. And during the time, my goal was to be able to achieve the target of an officer, even I wasn't paid being an officer. So the passion was really there because they say, according to um, uh, Napoleon, the starting point of all achievement is desire. So I really had the desire to be able to make a difference to that platform. And lo and behold, uh, when I, I started to enjoy being in sales, uh, there's another bank who actually invited me to join them. And that jumpstart my career from being a, a staff 
they they got me to be uh, an OIC or officer in charge manager. And he, I was given a few months. I, during the time, they, maybe I was able to charm my way in, 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 uh, in giving me that position. But uh, that moment, they asked me if I want to be a branch manager. Just imagine coming from a staff, being a branch manager. So during the time, I was a bit hesitant. So I said to myself, it's, uh, it's not yet time for me. What I asked the, the senior manager or the head of retail banking is to give me uh, six months. If I hit my target, that's ample time for me to be able to be trained. And lo and behold, I was able to hit the target and I became a branch manager by the age of 24. Yeah. And then the rest, it opened a lot of doors for me moving from one bank to another. I transferred from one bank into the multinational bank, HSBC, I worked for six years, and then I transferred to East-West. Wow, a lot of interesting movements. So thinking back to all the different roles you've had, and both in local and international banks, what do you think were some of the key milestones or achievements in your career? Well, um, during the time that I was a sales officer, uh, when I was about to jumpstart being a branch manager, uh, I was given a quota for six months. That's the reason that it opened me a door for being a very young store manager or branch manager. I was able to hit the target times five of the target. The good thing about sales, it's it's measurable. So if you hit 200, that's 200%, 500, 500%. So that allowed me to move to my career from being a uh, branch manager that became an head office branch. It just so happened the branch that I was assigned was a very old branch. We, it's a relocated branch. We bought during that time uh, an old bank. So just imagine I was 24 years old. Uh, my staff were more than 40 plus years old. So it was a wow moment for me. I realized that I need to improve my craft. I really need to learn more because these guys have vast experience compared to me. So that started my journey. Actually, I, 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 I'm the typical person during my younger days. I don't really want to read books, attend seminars. But I, if I needed to reach point A to point B, I need to change. And during that time, I had the hunger of developing myself. I think one good reference of that is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, Strength Finder. Uh, more than 20 years ago, I was able to grab that book and try to focus on my key strengths. So just imagine it because uh, during our youthful years, we're given that opportunity to know our strength. Even in, in here in the Philippines, in school, they don't teach that. Even if you are in your um, in career, they don't teach that as well. So it allowed me to be able to focus on my key talents, put in the right experience, the right training and development, and it has been my leverage ever since. So for me, it was more of the five key strengths was more of being strategic, uh, a communicator. So if you're going to look at it, I have also a lot of speaking engagement in the Philippines. So that's one way for me to be able to be trained. And later on, I'll tell you the story how 
I, I landed to be in the circle of the top uh, public speakers in the Philippines. It's just by accident and by passion. And also uh, positivity. Uh, another will be more on competitive. <laughs> and last will be more charismatic. So I, I think those things really helped me mold my career. And in terms of uh, the milestone, uh, Sarah, I was able during that time, being a branch manager young, in a young age, I was able to do, uh, being awarded three times, uh, straight year in a row, being a branch manager in a very young age. At the same time, I was able to hold the biggest account in the previous bank, that was Bank of Commerce. And then when I transferred to HSBC, because during that time, it's every banker's dream or local bank banker's dream is to work with the big league. So just so happened, it was a different dynamic because in a local bank, your concentration was to solicit more on business accounts, more on current and savings account, not too much on investment. My stepping stone with HSBC was more on wealth management. So it's a different animal for me. But when I jumped there, uh, the growth was exponential because it widened my perspective globally. And at the same time, uh, it allowed me to be able to really hone on my talents. And during that time, uh, I was able to hit my targets because previously, uh, I was handling top corporation in the Philippines. If you're familiar, San Miguel Corporation sells one of the best beers here in the Philippines. Uh, I think it's being sold there. <laughs> okay. So um, I was able to capture the owner and the CEO and the senior management team. And just imagine during the time uh, when I was with HSBC, they, they released their retirement funds. And guess what? Because of the good relationship that I had, they provided me a table within the corporation in the disbursement area. So all of the retirees, I was able to capture them. Okay. So that allowed me to exceed my target. And during that time, I realized if you're in wealth management, if you're more of a single contributor, ever since my passion is to really handle the team, to be able to train leaders. Uh, so the next step during that time is that for me to handle a team. So it just so happened there was an opening out of 15 candidates. Uh, I was blessed to be chosen. And the branch that was given to me was a non-performing branch. Uh, it's a branch located in an area that you think a multinational bank should not be put in. Okay? So uh, the, the relatively, the, the level of the size of the branch is low. And it was an opportunity for me to shine. And during that time, uh, I was able to handle one of the biggest uh, airline um, settlement. I don't know if you're very familiar with it. It's, it's Nolan Firm. There was an, an uh, Air Philippines case during that time. The, the claim is around 3, million, uh, 3 billion pesos, all in all. The, one of the biggest. So I was able to bag that and just imagine it from a, a not known branch. In HSBC, we became the top branch uh, nationwide. So that opened a lot of doors for me. And then, uh, of course, there was a crunch a bit in terms of the, the multinational banks here because there was margin compression during the 2008. That's where it started and moving forward. So I decided to move my career to the local bank again. And the doors were open for me for East-West. So uh, the next thing is that 
Of course, when I transferred, I was assigned to be a branch manager to Makati area. It's the business district for us. I was put in Ayala. Ayala, uh, of course, we are thinking that one of the business streeping, most of the business there or the branches are doing very well. But the one that was assigned to me was more strategically um, planned by me. So during the time when they asked me to come in, uh, I asked them for this specific profile of a branch. I told them, can you assign me to a store that's already in an ICU, <laughs> intensive care unit? So it's it's about to... It's about to die. Okay. It's not performing for X number of years. You put in a lot of good people there. And then Ayala, uh, we have that kind of branch. Uh, that's Ayala Makati Stock Exchange branch. So they put me there. Uh, a lot of people during the time, just imagine, it's a three-year-old branch. And they put in five branch manager already in that branch. And most of them, they were uh, forced to resign because they were able to move the needle. So during the time that I was assigned there, a lot of people uh, pity me because they were thinking I'll be forced to resign eventually because I won't be able to turn around the figures. And lo and behold, uh, God was good because I was able to bag huge accounts. And from a less than 30 million branch, I was able to deliver around 1.3 billion for the branch. And that gave me the ticket to handle the biggest branch in East-West. And uh, same story, uh, when I was there, the branch had some difficulty. It had some cases uh, and the morale of the people were down. Just imagine a head office branch not performing uh, because of a certain case. And it was an opportunity for me. But most of the people, when they say that you're in your assigned in a head office, uh, no matter who you put there, it will organically grow. So the challenge for me is to change that mindset. I told the team, we have to move the needle in the sense that it has to be all-time high in all categories. If we do that, uh, we're going to be different compared with the rest. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we ended the year, the highest uh, achievement so far, uh, we were registering around 2 billion pesos in terms of deposit. We ended the year around 15 billion deposit and generating X number of profit for the, the business. And that opened the door for me to move as a division head already in the Metro North area of East West. Yeah, it's fascinating. It sounds that through all the different stages of your career, you were very open to learning and discovering your strengths and really embracing challenge and seeing opportunity in it. Tell me a little bit more about that. Other than some of the challenges that you've spoken about, what other big challenges did you face during your career? And how did they shape how you um, lead, your leadership style? Okay. Well, I think everything starts from a vision. So what I'm going to share to you is the DNA of my team. Uh, normally, people don't buy in the direction. They buy in the leader who's given the direction. So for me, uh, whether it's an organization or a person, it anchors on your vision. Uh, a person or organization have three kinds of vision, Sarah. Uh, it all starts with letter S, so it's very easy to remember. Okay. <laughs> 
The first S is what you call survival. That's the lousiest, actually. A lot of people out there, more than 80% who are working out there, fall under that category. Is a you just have a job, you could buy your home, your car, you could buy the things that you want. Nothing bad about it, but actually it won't put a dent in the universe. The second is what you call success. Uh, for example, you want to be the CEO of the company. That's nothing bad about it. It's, it's a good aspiration, but it only adds value to yourself. But the greatest S among it is what you call significance. It's adding value to the people around you, the organization you're in, the group that you're in. Why? No matter how good you are as a salesperson, division head, CEO, CFO, athlete, scientist, name it. If you anchor yourself on money, fame, recognition, power, and especially us, we're in sales or in different industries, you will never be on the top of your game forever. Chances are, if you're not top anymore, people will forget you. But if you created a bridge to inspire people, you added significant value to them. You've given them some sense of purpose and meaning that, which they have never realized. And you were able to bridge that gap. Imagine when these people become successful, you'll be part of their success and you will live forever. That's your legacy. And that has been the backbone of how I've handled the team ever since. I mean, you've led many teams in your career and you've told us about taking on bank branches, for example, that were not performing and transforming them into incredibly successful branches. Um, and within that, you would have had to have taken your teams on that journey with you. Tell me more about your approach to keeping them motivated and keeping them performing at such a high level. Okay. Well, I, I think if you're going to look at a business, um, there are three key components, which is very, very important. Uh, the first one is people. Okay. Uh, like they say, it's cliche. People is our best investment. Okay. But normally when I get people, I don't get the best people. I get the right ones. So what does it mean? I get people are very aligned with our values, very aligned with the vision, because I I don't know I I don't want people who are just going to be sort of a diva. Uh, they keep on performing, but they are not aligned with the path that you want to take. Okay, uh, maybe you could try. Uh, we could try aligning them. If it doesn't happen, we have to we have to change them. Okay? In a sense that I rather get people that. Um, that could really uh, work with the team so well. Uh, the reason why I'm telling this is because I believe that uh, a key ingredient in, in performing is aside from bringing in the right people, is that you also need to create the right culture. Okay. Right culture pertains that, like Richard Branson was saying, culture beats strategy. Okay. So no matter how good is your strategy, but if you don't really have a good culture, chances are your talent will go away. Uh, what translates to a good culture, uh, it's more of, um, well, uh, there was a book, I'm sure maybe you read that, it's Scattered Principle. Okay. It's an old book, but they, they surveyed there uh, why employees in an X number corporation are thriving. Uh, one specific barometer was not about the pay and the benefit. Actually, it's having a voice in the organization, being valued. Uh, being recognized for their effort. And those things are very important. 
So we created the mechanism before I craft anything. I make sure that I provide everyone equal footing in terms of feedback. Even me, I'm 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 not uh, afraid being rated or conducting surveys. So even in my position, every now and then, every year I do that because it's more of a leader servant leadership approach. I want to ensure that I will be able to also serve our customer and serve our people, yeah, which is very important. And it's a place also when you create a good culture, uh, it's a place that people could feel safe, they belong, uh, a place that they could be themselves. Yeah, because I believe in spite of differences, there's, there's, uh, there's a sense of... Uh, uh, what do you call this, value when there's diversity and when everyone could be themselves. And uh, we, I really spend a lot of time, actually, aside from what I usually tell them, I don't really spend a lot of time tracking your numbers. I really spend a lot of time molding them, training them. I remember vividly, Sarah, I was asked by senior management, uh, by the owners of the bank, uh, a few years ago, they said, they, they asked this to all of the division head. They said, uh, what do you think is the biggest role of a division head? So all of them were, of course, different different uh, answers. Most of them, they say, uh, to ensure we hit the key result areas of the, the branches, to ensure that uh, we pass audit, we hit the bank assurance, the deposit target, revenues are up. Okay. When it was my time, Maybe the Lord provided you wisdom. I, I told them, or maybe it was my core. I told them, actually, we're not in the business of just hitting profit. We're not just in the business of hitting deposit and passing the ratings of our people. We're in the business of developing great and ser great service and sales leaders. And that's it. Why? There's no perfect organization. There's no perfect process. There's no perfect product. The one that bridges the gap are leaders. So might as well, I invest a lot on that. Thank you very much. That is really, really fascinating. Moving away from leadership, um, I really wanted to hone in on some of your different projects that you've worked on over the years. Now, I know that you're a huge advocate of innovation in banking. And from what I understand, in 2021, you helped launch a really fantastic product, product which is the EasyBiz Bundle. Can yeah. you tell me more about the project and your role within it? Okay. All right. Uh, this was the peak of the pandemic, actually. It was more of 2020. Of course, uh, all of us were shocked. 2021, a bit, we're transitioning already. So during that time, it was very difficult for us to be able to generate business, uh, I think, across all industries. So we're trying to come up with a product that will really allow our customers to uh, maximize online platform through their businesses. Uh, this is for cash management. So we have a, a, a different range of products, more on, uh, it's a bundled product, that it, it caters more on disbursement and collection, end-to-end. -end. Okay. The catch is that we are penetrating, of course, two fronts, uh, our existing customers and the new ones. On our existing, we want to, of course, we want them to uh, bring in more of their transaction business with us. Okay. 
And the way to do it is that same thing with the new to back. Of course, we want to generate new business. So the way we package the EasyBiz is that for the first six months, just imagine, Sire, for the first six months, we have approximately eight different e-channel products. We're going to give it to you for free for six months to use, okay? For free, just imagine, six months. So you, you could try it out, okay? So we put another layer of hook to it. Okay. The another layer is that, of course, uh, having them enrolled or opening a hand, it, it becomes meaningless if they don't transact. So you have to ensure that they bring in the deposit, the business to us. So the another layer that we did is that we told them, if you increase your balance to 500000 we will give you a very good interest rate comparable closely to a time deposit. Okay. Uh, every time you bring in more than 500,000, plus at least you have around two to three transactions every month. So the bigger the balance that you bring in, the bigger the tiering of interest we're giving you. So that will give us the six months ample time for us, for you to try our product. And when you like it, chances are you're already hooked to it. You will stay. <laughs> And how was it embraced by the people that, that took it, took the product? It, it was very successful because we generate multiple of billions in terms of deposit. So it really helped us a lot. Wow, amazing. An amazing achievement. So aside from your day job, you have clearly developed a passion for community development and social responsibility. Um, and you've done many, many different types of things, including founding the Enlarge Financial Literacy Summit. I'd really love to know about how your interest in these areas came about. You know, what made them so important to you? Okay. Uh, this is a very interesting story. I, I, uh, like I said a while ago, I've been in the banking industry for more than 20 years. So I feel my calling i don't really say it is a career because there's a difference between a career and a calling a career is something that you need to do to earn a living but a calling is something that you are born to do so i feel that the lord has placed me here to be able to really make a difference aside from doing my past in the workplace so around 2014 uh i had a burden during that time uh the Philippines is doing very well in terms of economic growth. But surprisingly, there was a big gap when I saw it. A lot of Filipinos are not catching the opportunity. Because if you're going to look at it during that time, we had the lowest uh, MasterCard conducted a financial literacy index in the region. And Philippines registered one of the lowest. So just imagine you have a thriving country and you have a lot of Filipinos weren't able to catch that. So the burden started from there. And I was just so blessed because uh, my, my uncle, who used to be the deputy governor of Banco Central or BSP or Central Bank of the Philippines, uh, who is also my mentor, uh, I shared this burden to him. I told him, uncle, <laughs> uh, uh, I have this burden. I, I want to come up with a financial literacy conference. I call it Enlarge. Um, can you support me with this uh, being backed up by Banco Central uh, and he agreed to it and the first three years of our event was done in BSP so we invited the venues around more than 
1,000 capacity. So Banco Central was the one who paid everything for the venue and all of the expenses. And then the next concern was, who's going to speak? <laughs> so, of course, aside from Diwa, uh, Kinugundo is my uncle, who is the deputy governor of BSP or Central Bank during that time, and me. Uh, we're only two speakers. <laughs> so I was looking at to have a, a roster of speakers to attract more people to come. The more people, the more value you give in, and chances are more people will come. So I was really praying we are the right people. It just so happened my wife attended a conference and then she told me, hey, hon, I, I saw these guys. Their name is Randall Chongson, uh, one of the financial gurus here also in the Philippines. Marvin Germo, uh, when it comes to stock market, he's the guru who also here. Uh, some motivational speaker and some a previous uh uh, Miss Universe, uh, sec, uh, first runner-up, uh, uh, Miriam Kimbao. So uh, she, she told me, I think these are the people that you need to get in touch with. And I was looking in their profile. I saw there's a common denominator. All of them are registered financial planners. Uh, so I had an interest to to enroll to it. Actually, I I, I don't really need it <laughs> because during that time, uh, even the multinational bank, you're being trained end-to-end -end, uh, about estate planning, all of the stuff, the works. Uh, I, I just enrolled for that session for, what, four months of training to get certification, but actually just to get to know them. And when I was given the opportunity, I delivered the pitch to them, and they had the same kind of burden. And all of them rallied for X number of years. We're do we've been doing this already. Uh, now we're going more on the local governments. Uh, we're talking to mayors, uh, congressmen, uh, councillors of local city governments, and then we introduce this to them. We say that we're going to give this for free. I'm going to bring in one of the best speakers in the industry because, uh, of course, on the one of my requirements is the audience should be first your staff and your employees in the local government because i feel if we could teach them very well chances are if they manage their money very well red tape or corruption could go down and uh, we've been doing that to different cities already uh, for the past eight years and like i said uh, a while ago during our soft discussion uh, recently we're tapping also on the philippine national police so recently we also had a talk with them because we feel also if we teach the police how to really invest and save up money, chances are corruption will lower down. That's fascinating. It really is. So the Lazada financial talks that you were also involved with, were they part of that or something? Or were they an expansion of that? Well, this is different. Actually, I do a lot of talks uh, with with East West to represent the bank. So uh, some of the businesses or partners we have normally they're the they, they send me during those talks uh, to represent the bank. So I did a lot already different organizations uh, for X number of years because this is more uh, it's a pro bono actually it's more out of passion. That's the reason why I'm doing it. So 
Moving back to the banking world, we have seen rapid change within the bank industry over the past decade. There's been technological advancements, evolving consumer expectations. So what, in your opinion, are some of the most notable trends in the industry that you think will be the most impactful for the coming years? Here in the Philippine market or the banking industry here, I think uh, during the pandemic, is it's really an eye-opener for a lot of us, uh, especially here. We're in terms of technology, we're a bit laid back here. Uh, in, in the European countries and the other countries, uh, you're heavily more now on digital. Uh, now we really put a lot of emphasis on digital transformation. Uh, so far, BSP is doing a great job there. Uh, they already started to have a digital sandbox of six banks already, digital banks. They've approved licenses already. So it's already running. Of course, they're testing the waters already. But they fully encourage uh, more of the local banks to shift. So a lot of the local banks here are shifting towards hybrid. Uh, because before, it's brick and mortar. You have to set up you have to buy a license. And a license here is quite expensive. It's around 25, uh, 25 million pesos. So around approximately almost close to $500,000. That's for the license. And the infrastructure, that's, that's a lot. So roughly you'll spend around close to 35 to 40 million per branch. That's quite expensive. And it will take you relatively three to four years up for you to be able to return back your investment. Now, I think uh, those banks who came in very early, who really invested in digital right now, is raking a lot of money. Uh, they're, they're doing very well because uh, we all know when you're in the digital platform, it's more cost efficient for you. In terms of pricing, you could compete very well. So the challenge for the bigger banks is to shift towards that. But there's a huge appetite already. Uh, I think with what happened with the pandemic, it opened the door for, for a lot of people to have an appreciation on online transaction. And even BSP has capped a target. Uh, there's a national strategy. They wanted at least 50% uh, of all uh, online payment, all payments, uh, lo uh, local government payments migrated already on online and even other platforms. So, so far, based on their target around 2021, they started it, the, the ending target with 2023. They're hitting around close to 45%. Still not bad. It's a huge improvement. And uh, the unbanked areas, I think they were targeting more of the adult 70% to hit uh, at least 70%, uh, most of the adult to be banked. Uh, now it's hitting around 65%. So it's a huge jump coming from what we used to be. So uh, in terms of stability, um, the banks here are very stable. I think uh, um, we're very proud of uh, our Banco Central. They've managed very well the liquidity. Uh, the the non-performing loans here in the country is relatively low. Inflation rate is decent. Okay. So the ingredients to grow, it's all there. And the beauty behind it is that we have a very young and vibrant workforce. And we're also a consumer-based economy. So the ingredients are all there. Of course, there are some challenges on the way, but uh, relatively, it's very promising.
Thank you. And thinking a bit more about that young, vibrant workforce that you mentioned, to close out today's episode, I would love it if you could share some advice for young bankers entering the industry today. You know, what would you tell them if you wanted to give them advice on how they could best progress their careers? All right. Great. To, of course, to all of our aspiring uh, bankers, uh, allow me to be able to give you this advice coming from this survey. Actually, this there's a wonderful survey done by Gallup. And this also opened my eyes in terms of uh, how where to focus it. Because people are saying, uh, I think you all know, uh, you start with the why. <laughs> okay. uh, but here, it's an eye opener. There was, there, was there was a survey conducted by Gallup to those who have reached more than 90 years old. 90 years old. And they were asked this profound question. If you're going to live your life all over again, what are the three things that you want to change? Because when you reach that age, you're already in the edge of your life. So in no specific order, these were their answers. I wish I was able to spend more time with their family, with my loved ones. Another, I wish I was able to do more for others, for the community, and for my nation. Last, I wish I was able to serve my God better. And to you, my surprise, no among them said, I wish I had the 2 billion peso bank account. I wish I had a Ferrari. I, I wish I had a, uh, a beach house in Maui. None of them. So this will allow you to see that our career and our money is just a tool for us to achieve all of those three things. Having the right perspective really changed a lot the way I do things. Maybe what you see me today is out of all of those passion in the sense that I'm more intentional now. So it's very important for the next line of bankers or emerging leaders right now. I encourage you that you really need to be focused and intentional. You have to take responsibility on your calling. It belongs to you. Okay? No one's going to be more passionate uh, that no other person will be more passionate compared to you. So you have to develop yourself. You have to bridge the gap. You have to keep on trying again and again. Even you fail, keep on bouncing back. And believe me, when the time comes that you become a leader, okay, there are two paths of being a leader. It's either you be manipulative or inspirational. Be the latter one. Continue to inspire and to make a difference. That is such thoughtful, sage advice. Thank you so much, Broderick. I think just touching on that as, as a last um, thought for everyone to kind of take away with them at the end of this episode, you've talked, you've touched on many things, but what principles, if you could just think of three strategies or principles that you think contribute to success, what would they be? Well, first one is to leverage on your strength. Uh, I think um, there's value of emphasizing where you're really good at. Because a lot of people nowadays invest a lot on the things that they are weak at. And chances are when that happens, you become average. But guess what? If you invest all of your time, your energy, your effort developing where you're good at, 
you could be the best in the world. And no matter what competition you have, you bring them to your realm, chances are you'll win. Another is think always win-win. When you do things, it has to reciprocate on the other end. So always think collectively in a sense that uh, you really need to add value wherever you are being planted. Whether you're in an organization, where you're building your career in the bank, whether in your community. Uh, like I said a while ago, those three things are so relevant because it will resonate with you when the time comes that you're already, I hope not 90 years old, I hope a bit younger because that will spell a lot more of what kind of legacy that you will leave behind. Okay. And, and I think another aspect is for me, uh, what really moved the needle for me is my priorities, uh, Sarah. Uh, I never interchange it. Uh, my, in my life, people in the workplace or in the community or here in my neighborhood, uh, I never change my priorities. What you see is what you get. My number one priority, which my family knows, is God first. Second is my family. Uh, family, when I, it, when I divide it, of course, my wife. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> and, and then, of course, my children. And then, last but not the least, of course, my work, my career. So I never interchange that. And believe me, uh, I never imagined myself to be where I am today. I'm just so blessed that the Lord has given me this platform to be able to bless a lot of people, inspire a lot of people. Thank you so much, Broderick. That is such a wonderful way to end off today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us to share so many of your experiences and insights. It's been really, really fabulous talking with you. Thank you, thank you, Sarah. It's all, the pleasure is all mine. Really blessed with you. Oh, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and it's sown some seeds of inspiration for you all. It certainly has for me. And that is all for this episode of Unlock Banking in Asia. To learn more about us or contact us, visit our website at www.apac.nibf.ac.uk. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.